Hello and welcome to Your Employment Matters. I'm Beverly Williams and I'm here to help you navigate your career. This is for anyone who's searching for their dream job or promotion, or perhaps you're just looking to hang on to the job you have. Today's work environments are multi-generational, multi-religious, multinational, multiracial, and multi-gender and multi-gender identity. Add market disruptors like Amazon and Lyft, along with the addition of AI, and it's easy to see why finding and keeping a job is such a challenge. Employment success and even employment survival depend on your ability to adapt. That's why my goal for this 30-minute podcast is to first advocate embracing change and differences, and second, to encourage you to proactively assume responsibility for your career. Get your work week off to a good start by listening to Your Employment Matters every Monday. Find out how to own your career and get the best practices for making your employment matter. You know, I've hosted this podcast for over a year and my journey confirms what I suspected. There are a lot of interesting people out there who are having interesting employment journeys. Some journeys are planned, others occurred by happenstance or of necessity. Now, the recession of 2008-2009 created unexpected employment upheavals. It was the negative economic shift that prompted me to begin Parthenon Enterprises and write my first employment advice book. I always felt that I could make a contribution. I could give back. I could help people who were looking for work or looking for promotions. I could help them achieve their goals. And I wanted to do that. Now, at times it's been rewarding and other times it's been extremely frustrating. One of the rewarding times is when I met Tim Winders, my guest today. Now, when I say met, in the time of COVID, that means meeting virtually. We haven't met face-to-face, but we've talked a number of times. And I really feel that his journey can be inspirational for people who may find themselves in similar situations. I'll leave it to Tim to tell you about his journey Tim, thank you so much for joining us. And thank you for being so gracious with all the technical difficulties I've had. <laughs> we're, we're having fun. Thank you, Beverly. It's great to be here. I'm excited to share and just have this conversation. Well, I've set it up for you, but why don't you tell our listeners about your employment journey? Sure. Let me, like, I think most people's journeys, I guess some people might go through just a smooth and steady in all likelihood, they may not be someone who's listening in, though, probably people that have had a little bit more of a roller coaster ride, which might be the best way to describe mine. I'll go ahead and give kind of the 2008 version, and then we can back up if we need to. But in 2008, my wife and I, we had multiple companies at that time that we owned and ran. And we had All three of those companies would have been valued at well over seven figures. One of those companies held over $15 million in real estate holdings at that time. And we had a coaching business and also a lead generation business. And 
as you should have picked up on, all of those companies were related to real estate. And in 2008, most of us, especially those of a certain age or a little older, will remember that that was primarily a real estate driven correction, I'll call it in the market. And so to kind of compress the story and we can get into more details, that was 2008. We were living in a big 6,000 square foot home in a resort community, had a Ritz Carlton as our neighbor, a lot of golf courses, things like that. And to fast forward by 2013, my wife and I were essentially homeless, living in a Honda van, out of a Honda van, in fact. And uh, most of our possessions were stored in a small little storage unit. And we have essentially been traveling and nomadic ever since. Now, to bring people up to speed, we now currently are probably in better shape financially than we've ever been because we still lead a pretty simple life and uh, we still travel. We live, travel, and work full-time in our RV. We, we named Theo. But I think most people can re- realize, and you could ask some more questions, Beverly, to get more details, but... That's been pretty up and down, and that doesn't even go back to my beginning when I came out of college back in the late 80s. So how's that for giving a little bit of my employment journey? Well, that alone is enough to get people's attention and wonder how you recovered. What did you do to recover? I mean, not only what did you do to recover financially, what did you do to recover emotionally, because it had to be devastating emotionally in 2008, 2009, when what you had acquired just disappeared, for lack of a better word. Well, uh, yeah, disappeared is a great word because it did. I mean, we were living in a house and we lost it. We had companies that went bankrupt. We had a lot of possessions that we gave away, got rid of, sold, whatever you want to say. And I think, Beverly, it's, it's interesting. My wife and I have had this conversation many times. And I, and I do want to emphasize for those listening in, because many times these situations take not a toll just on an individual, but they take a toll on a family. They take a toll on relationships and marriages and relationships with children. And I am still married and have been married over 32 years to the same woman, my wife, Glory. And I appreciate her sticking with me and she would say me sticking with her. We One of the things we say about this situation, Beverly, is that we would not wish our journey on anyone because emotionally it was very painful. Now, you know, there's things that we lost in items and things like that, but all of those things are replaceable. But our soul, our very being, the fiber of who we are, our identity, how we look at ourselves when we look in the mirror. Those things are difficult to replace. We could replace a house. You could replace a car. You could replace stuff, computers and technology that we were talking about earlier before we flipped on the microphone. But you can't replace what you see when you look in the mirror. And one of the things that I recognize, Beverly, is going back to the early 2000s, even into the 90s, I was probably one of these guys, and I will now admit this, that I would have been considered not just confident in my ability and my skill and my technical expertise, but then also my ability to communicate and do certain things. I I felt pretty good about myself, probably to the point of being arrogant at times. And so I am not saying that from a spiritual standpoint, this happened to me to humble me, 
But I will say that humility is something that I'm hopeful that I gained from the entire process. And I have much more of a heart for interacting with people that have been through challenges now that maybe I didn't prior to 2008. I have much more compassion for people that went through struggles this last year when many companies, businesses were shut down during a a worldwide pandemic. And your question obviously is many layers to it. And I think I'm rambling a little bit now, but really. You're not. You're not. I'm kind of preaching a little bit is what I'm doing, actually. I think you're describing the emotions that you had. You're describing the person that you were. And I think I know personally, life can be a, a humbling experience. Mm-hmm. Everything never there are so few people in this world who live life and never have bumps in the road. There are usually bumps, whether it's a loss of a loved one, a loss of a job, and we tend to identify who we are with what we do. Yep. And that's not really going to take us through the challenges. Uh that job, that position. It's not going to be what gets you through, not in your heart of hearts. You know, you may be able to spend time on the job and block things out, but eventually you're going to have to confront whatever the challenges are. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of one of the things that's become somewhat of a theme with a lot of my projects and a lot of what we work on with podcasts and books and different things like that. And it's this term that's called redefining success. And Beverly, you brought up something that's, I think, extremely valuable. And I know that there are people listening in, myself years ago, that my title, if I handed you a business card or if if I was working in an office, the title that I had attached to my name would have really been important to me. And what happens, and, and I know we all know this, but yet we don't necessarily live it. And that is that title could change. I mean, there could be a situation you're in with a job right now where you've got director, manager, VP, president, CEO, worker, you know, even lawyer or different things like that, that you could have that title attached to your name and it could change at some point. I mean, you know, we wouldn't want anyone to be disbarred or anything like that, but I actually know people. I've got people that I interact with that they were once lawyers and they're no longer lawyers anymore. So I think it's real important. I think the lesson that I learned, and this goes back to a question you asked just a little while ago, is how did I recover? And I think the key message that I would want to convey to anyone listening in is I began identifying myself with something beyond just what the superficial or the natural would say that Tim is. I looked deeper spiritually and found out who I believe God says that I am. I found what my skills were, what my talent was, what I think my assignment and purpose is from a bigger standpoint in life on this earth. And I think that began defining me more than just, do I own these companies valued at X amount of money? Do I have this title attached to my name? Do I do do this every day? I mean, sometimes we could attach to what we do every day and Definitely, it doesn't have anything to do with the stuff we own or anything like that. So, Beverly, it's really all about redefining what success is. And I'll pile on just a little bit. I think the biggest challenge that most of us in what we'll call first world, let's just say our cultures, essentially, we have our 
basic needs taken care of. We've got food, we've got shelter, we've got clothing, and we probably have more than one TV. We probably have more than one vehicle. We've got roofs over our heads that are probably not just a shack. They're probably three, four, five bedroom homes. We're well taken care of for the most part. I think what we really do is we define success by looking around at other people and comparing. And so I really have been more and more defining success by what I believe Tim was created to do right now. And I use a word assignment. I say, what's my assignment? And I'll spend my time in prayer and things like that, doing that, Beverly. I hope it's okay to say that here. I'll just be quiet, think. And I think that got me through those difficult times more than anything else. So I hope that helps. I have friends who define themselves by what they did. Senior vice presidents who lost their jobs and had difficulty transitioning into another unrelated role, although they had multiple talents because they were focused on that one job in that specific area. And it was so distressing to me because the transition, I believe, would have been so successful because of the talent. But Mm. that's not who they saw themselves as. And in fact, the name of my book is Your GPS to Employment Success, How to Find and Succeed in the Right Job. Now, you succeed in the right job doesn't necessarily mean that you'll be happy or that you'll succeed in life. That's just one facet. So we're and we're multifaceted individuals. We're not a one trick pony. And I don't think people realize that there's more to us than just the job we do, no matter what that job is. But when you lose it, It's like you, in fact, I remember specifically in 2008, 2009, one of the reasons I began my company was because I saw grown men on television in suits and ties crying because they lost their job and couldn't find another one. Because not only was the real estate market maybe the catalyst for the economic upheavals, Companies were, whatever the nomenclature, right-sizing their organizations. They were delayering and taking out middle management employees. And that meant that there were people who had been executives who were no longer employed and were having difficulty finding executive roles because they no longer existed, even in other companies. Because remember, the driver in in a profit-making organization is profit. And when you have shareholders, it's shareholder value. So if you take out a layer of high-earning employees, it helps your bottom line. And a lot of businesses did that in 2008, 2009, some of necessity, some because they figured out that was a way to generate shareholder value increase the stock price. So to your point, it's something that we we need to think about. Who else are we? You know, that was, it moved me. And I said, you know, I saw one man get up every morning and go have breakfast with his wife 
put on his suit and tie. He went to the library to use the computer and he would go through all of the job sites, the job board sites. And I was like, no, you need to go and talk to people. He had not even told his pastor that he was unemployed. Mm. You have to tell people that you need help. You can't be proud. It's not a time for pride. Pride goes before a fall. You need to tell people that you need help and you need to present yourself in a fashion that makes them want to help you. And as far as arrogance is concerned, that's not something that goes along with that projection. (laughs) Something you just described, Beverly, kind of triggered something. You know, I think it was Elizabeth Kubler Ross that wrote the book on the different stages that we go through when there's a death. And one of the things that I think this is truthfully what happened also when we saw pandemic, there was variations of this where there's denial, then there's anger, and then there's a few other stages, and then there's acceptance. And one of the things you just said when describing the man who still got dressed up, went to the library, acting like he worked was there's some degree of denial. And I know I did that because I I had this conversation often with myself that I couldn't believe that I was in the situation that I was in, that I couldn't make payments on my house, that you know we were moving towards losing this, that my family and all, what was I going to do? And you know, a lot of it still had a big relation to comparing to others. It's like, you know, what are other people going to think? Well, truthfully, this sounds harsh. I've gotten to a point where I don't really care what other people think. It really doesn't matter. I'm not being harsh towards other people. I'm mindful of other people. But what they think about me and what they think about you or what I think about you, I mean, when we want to we want to have compassion for each other, but I'm not going to live my life based on how well I'm impressing or looking good or whatever in front of other people. And I recognized that that was something that was driving me. And I needed to purge a lot of that. I needed to purge a lot of materialism because I recognized that, you know, where I lived, what I drove and things like that had become important, how I dressed and all of that. I think I've purged all that. And you know what it does, Beverly? This is kind of interesting, a little bit of a sidebar, but we are able to make, I think, better decisions when we're not running all of these things through our mind. Like, just for example, if I'm sitting here and I'm considering where I might live or what I might do, I don't need to be sitting here going, I wonder what Beverly's going to think. Now, if you're in a counselor role with me and I'm looking at you as a coach and all, because I'm a coach, I would say, Beverly, what do you think if you're one that's kind of mentoring or helping me? But just in general, if you're a peer or someone who's like a family member that might be a little bit judgy and things like that, I don't really need to live my life trying to impress things upon you. I think that many of us have made the mistake of trying to live our lives based on what other people think. And when we do that, it makes difficult decisions. We take a job that we shouldn't take. We start a business or do something in business that we shouldn't do. We buy things that we shouldn't buy because we're trying to impress upon other people. And it sounds harsh at times, but I just have kind of gotten to the place. I mean, listen, my wife and I, we live a totally different lifestyle. We live in a 39-foot RV. Now, it's a motor coach and it's nice. I'm not driving around in a you know, beaten down vehicle or anything. <laughs> It's, it's real nice if I were to show you pictures of it, 
but we do things different. You know, when the pandemic hit, we looked at each other and we go, huh, I wonder if this is why we live already a pretty, you know, socially distanced life. We live in our own house. We drive around and we can go places where there aren't many people because we're on wheels. It's just really part of looking around and and evaluating how you make decisions. You know, are you in a role? Are you in a work role? This is an important one, Beverly. I'm bouncing a little bit so you could you can interrupt it. Are you in a work role because it's it's what mama and daddy wanted you to do? Now, listen, I do believe we need to listen to our parents and honor our parents. But if mama, all, I'm from the South, so I'll use a little bit of vernacular. But if mama always wanted you to be, a, I'll just use doctor, for example, and you went and studied to be a doctor and now you're a doctor, but it is just not the role that you should be in. then why are you a doctor? And why aren't you something else? You know, why aren't you, you know, a guide out in the a national park leading people on hikes? There are roles out there that you can fill. And I think our goal is to find that match. And, and I'll just speak to someone who might just be in a role right now. I think the latest statistics I read, Beverly, I think we talked about this the other day, is 40% of people right now are actively looking for another position. Now, some of them need to stay right where they are because that's they just need to buckle down and work harder. But some of those people, the pandemic gave them clarity so that they know that they're probably not in a role that's a good match for them, either the work situation or the actual work or the skill sets or location or something like that. And, you know, this is a time to sit back, put some thought, get some good counsel from people, and maybe look at making some adjustments if it makes sense. So anyway, I went on a rant there, didn't I? No, uh, you know, you're right. But it shouldn't, it, it shouldn't be a knee-jerk reaction. Nope. It should be well thought out and, to your point, discussed with people who can help you make informed decisions that won't land you in a worse situation than you're in now. Everybody doesn't make good decisions. We know that. But if your decision making is not your strong suit, hopefully you can access people who can help you come up with the right decision for you going forward. You know, I always say, don't leave your job until you have another one. And don't expect the grass to be greener where you're going. Hopefully it will be, but that is not always the case. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, one thing that's important there, if someone is bounced around time and time again, and every time they go somewhere, the boss is always out to get them, and they've done it three, four, five, six times, then I think they need to start looking at the common denominator and all that. And the common denominator is, is the face they're looking at in the mirror. Exactly. And listen, everybody's got situations. I'm not saying that there's something going on that you don't need to report it or do things like that. but If you have someone that's treating you poorly one time, two times, three times, four times, then it could be time to maybe evaluate what are you doing? Oh, this sounds, oh, I I hope this comes out right. I want my heart to be heard here. But what are you doing to possibly attract that? Is there something that you may be doing to stir that pot? I used to joke years ago, this was before I I was uh, a little bit of a softer person, but I used to say there are some people that are just walking around and they're in a fence waiting to happen. They are just ready to be offended by something. Yeah. 
And so don't be that person either. You know, I think this is what I, I, I've done a lot in ministry. So a lot of my, my work has some spiritual terms. I think that we need to evaluate things on whether it's a blessing or a burden. In other words, is your work, is it a blessing to you? But in the same light, are you a blessing to your work and the people around you? Because it really, blessing begats blessing begats blessing. You know, if it's a burden to you, then you may want to consider looking around. But if it's a burden everywhere you go, then it could be that you're the one causing that. So anyway, hopefully that'll be helpful to someone. Yeah, I mean, we're rarely objective about ourselves. But a self-assessment is not a bad idea. If you can do it objectively, it's almost by definition not objective. But once you do it, run it by people you trust whose opinion you value to see whether they agree with what you've concluded. And there's some online uh, resources that you can use. The cost is either there's no cost or maybe minimal. You can do a not a deep dive, but you can get some idea. But people who are talking about, oh, I'm not, I don't want to go back into the workplace now that people are vaccinated. Be careful because even if your employer says, oh, sure, you can work from home, we'll do a hybrid, or you don't have to come in at all. In a month, you may find that they tell you that they've moved on and that they've eliminated your position. And you don't want to find yourself in that position unless and until you're ready to move on yourself. You want to control your employment journey to the extent that you can. And that's one of the ways you can do it. Don't say you want to leave. Look around and see whether you can find another job. And then if you can't, and you think that you're valuable to the company, and I don't mean you're curing cancer, but you're doing a good job as reflected by your performance reviews. Now, whether you believe it or not, and whether you agree with the performance reviews, those are going to be the records. So if your performance reviews are excellent or very good, they may be willing to let you work from home. But if you've only been satisfactory, they can likely find another satisfactory performer to replace you or someone who will perform at a a higher level. It's just a thought because a lot of people are thinking that they're in a position they have leverage when they don't. This is my opinion. Yeah. And and one of the things I think we see, and I know Beverly, you know, we've talked about 2008. We've talked about, you know, the pandemic and I could even go back and talk about 2001, you know, the the downturn.com. I could even go back. I was about to graduate college when we had the correction of 1987. That's dating myself, but we're always going to be going through cycles and see sometimes people just, they forget about history. And right now, because of just the nature of what's gone on in the last 12 to 18 months, most employees do have a little bit of leverage. And that's not a bad thing. I mean, I think it's probably a cycle. But I can tell you 24 months from now, we're probably going to be having a different conversation. As they said, no doubt. Yeah. And so there's going to be cycles. And listen, one of the things that I believe to be true. And I think you brought it up earlier. There was a book I read and it might have been in the early 90s. And this is this could be a very dated book. But I remember the name of the book was You Incorporated. And I think I did some training when I was at the Leadership Institute at Bell South on this. But 
we really were attempting to get people thinking about themselves as like a mini company. And what they did when they came into the workplace was they brought their skills, they brought their talents, they brought their mindset, their attitudes. In return for that, they got compensation, benefits, all of those things. But there may come a day that that agreement may not need to be there for one reason or the other, for one party or the other. And so you incorporated might go somewhere else because we were in a corporate environment at the time where there were people that had worked in that corporation for 10, 20, 30, 40 years plus. And so we were attempting to get them thinking in terms of you may not always work for this company. And so, Beverly, one of the things that I always encourage people to do is always be working on your skill sets, always be working on your communication skills, always be working on your mindset, your attitude, always be looking around and saying, you know, what is out there? Not that you're always looking for new work and you're bouncing around, but you're always saying, what is the marketplace looking for? And what can I lend to? Because listen, if you were in the hotel service industry two years ago, you would have thought you're in the greatest industry ever. Well, right now, that industry is going through incredible upheaval. I'm venturing to say that they will have a third, if not even less, of the employees that they once had. And you would be needing to restructure, redefine yourself, whatever it is. And so, I don't want to say you want to live in fear that you're always going to have to do that, but you need to operate with wisdom and say, you know, about every seven to 10 years, there's a cycle that we go through with the economy. And I want to kind of be ready if for some reason it cycles through my industry. Just prepare and, and think ahead and, and read and study and look at things and don't get complacent and lazy. I think that's one of the big things we should share. You know, Tim. You just promoted my book because that's the thing. You've got to stay on top of things. When I saw, I was watching a PBS documentary and a robot was flipping burgers. I said, okay, this is serious. Anyone who's not paying attention to artificial intelligence, robotics, it's going to change the way work is done. It's changed already. And you have to keep your eye on developments in the industry in which you work, in which you work or you want to work. To your point, always learning, always improving your skill sets, improving your marketability. You want to be prepared for an opportunity when and if it presents itself, because it may not come again. And if you're not ready, you're not heard to complain. But people don't, you know, once they get a job, it's huh, a sigh of relief. And they go back to doing things the way they did before. The other thing I suggest strongly, if you have a network that you use to help you get a job, to make contacts with people who could help you get work, when you get a job, don't forget those people. Check in with them periodically. Don't only contact them when you're looking for work or when you need something or want something, stay in touch with them. I have a friend, in fact, the, there's a, her, she did a podcast for me, Dr. Julie Lane Haley. We went to undergraduate school together. That's the most networking, staying in touch woman I have ever met in my life. She stays in touch with everyone that she's connected with over the course of her life. And if I don't hear from her, 
I call her because I think something's wrong. And that's the way she stays connected. She always has a job. She always has work. And if anyone listening, please go to Dr. Julie Lane Haley's podcast. And I'm telling you, she has some good advice for you. I guess my rant is over. So Tim, if you had it to do all over again, what would you do? Would you do anything differently? You know, Beverly, that, that's a great question. It kind of goes back to what I said at the beginning that my wife and I, we would not wish our journey on anyone, but we're so thankful and grateful for the people that we are now. I've asked myself often, I wondered if I would learn the lessons that I learned any other way. You know, one of the things that I say often, and I think this is accurate, I've got a lot of personal data and also data from clients and people that I interact with to kind of back this up. But I really do think that people go through serious change, like real change in their lives, one of two ways. The first way is, is they make a choice. They do all the research. They focus. They put some focused effort into making a change and adjustment in their lives. The second way that people change is some form of a catalytic event forces them to change. They have a health issue. They have a death in the family. There's a worldwide pandemic. There's a recession. They lose their job. They go through bankruptcy, something like that. I'm a guy that I've always been personal development, leadership, working as a coach, all of those things. So I would think I would be one of those guys that would do the first one. But the way I've made my biggest change in my life is this that was forced upon me. And, you know, I'm not trying to play victim or anything like that. I don't think the 2008, 2009 recession, downturn, whatever we call it, was all about Tim kind of finding himself. But I do know that uh, that God was able to use that and get my attention so that I could adjust some things. And so I would say I wish I would have done a few things differently. And it'll go, it goes back to something you said earlier, Beverly. When we started going through our struggles in 08, one of the things that I recognize now is that I was dealing with a lot of shame, probably some guilt, a little condemnation, some stuff like that. And so I began disconnecting, and I'm pretty much a networker type myself, but I didn't reach out to people in 09, 10, 11, 12, like I typically would have. And I realized that I disconnected myself. And I needed to be communicating with people. I needed to be let, I needed to be vulnerable and letting people know. I said, listen, we're going through a tough time. Is there anything that you got that you can say or encourage or help out or whatever? I just didn't want to do that. And again, I think a lot of it was shame. And so Beverly, one of the things I learned from that a year ago, March, March 2020, when, you know, our country in the United States went into lockdown. I told my wife, I said, this is going to be fairly catastrophic. I, I sense this. There's going to be some real difficulties and challenges. You know, we, we were first told we're going to lock down for two weeks. And, right. and, and uh, I think anyone with any wisdom says you can't shut down an economy for two weeks, two days, two months, two years, whatever. You can't shut it down and there not be repercussions. And so I kind of saw that it was going to ripple. And we still, there's ripples we haven't even seen yet that are going to still impact people, some in a positive, but a lot in a negative way. So people need to be mindful of that. But Beverly, I got on my text and I've got threads with people that I interact with once every month or two or whatever. And I got on social media and, you know, direct messages and things like that. And I just started to reach out to people and I just said, Hey, Joe, so this is Tim. We haven't talked in a few months and I just want to see how you're doing. Checking in. Are you doing okay? And I would just be doing that with all types of people checking in. How you doing? 
how you doing, Beverly? You doing okay? Is you know, everything fine with you? And I would do that with you know clients, former clients. We had some clients that took big hits during that time. And so, Beverly, the thing that I learned probably that I hope that I've done better is to do what you were just talking about with Dr. Julie Lane Haley early. And that's just to stay connected to people, never disconnect. I think that's bad for our mental health. I think it's bad for other people's health. I think people need each other. And just we need to be mindful that everyone is going through something. Even when times look great for everyone, there's probably people out there that are going through some tough stuff. So keep that in mind. No, that's a really great point. You know, you've given career advice. As I said, it's exactly what I write about. Other than that, in addition to that, I should say, do you have additional career advice for anyone listening? What about a 23-year-old person who's just starting out as a recent graduate or a person perhaps in their 40s or 50s who finds themselves unemployed because the business went out of business. I have a few things that come to mind, Beverly, and some of these could be a challenge for some people, but I, that's okay. I think, I think when we're in a challenging time, we have to be challenged. I think one of the things that was valuable for me, this is going to sound a little bit different, but I think, I think many people will get this. It is very important when we're put in a situation of stress and strain Maybe there's financial involved with it. I think that's one of the worst we have is when money is involved. I think it's rare that a lot of people lose their job if they've got a bunch of money sitting in the bank that they're that stressed about it. Maybe they are. But usually it's a matter of you're looking at bills, you're looking at how to take care of the family, kids, feed, and things like that. It is so valuable to be able to sit down and quiet the mind, quiet all of these thoughts that are going on, these anxiety-type thoughts. And to try to be still and just, if you journal, if you meditate, if you pray, whatever it is, just try to be still and quiet. I know that sounds interesting. And listen, I'm, I'm a hardwired type A type guy. And I know many people listening in are, and it is difficult to do that, especially in today's world where you have to put down the phone, the computer, the iPad, all the other, you know, the streaming services, everything. You need to clear all that stuff out so that you can get some clarity in your mind. I'm hopeful that one of the things that's happened in the last 12 to 24 months, 12 to 18 months with uh, the pandemic, is that many people have gained some clarity on what's important and what's not. Is it important to go out to eat three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten times a week and eat out? Or is something that's more important to, you know, have a meal at home where the whole family sits around the table and you have no devices or anything and we just sit and talk. I think a lot of people were forced to do that while there was a pandemic. You couldn't go out to eat, right? Right. And so I really, and, and really the thinking and the quiet is leading to the bigger picture item, which is clarity. I think our big challenge that all of us have on this earth, Beverly, is to have clarity on what our assignment is here and what we're to be doing. And so if I were to speak to the 23-year-old or the 33 or the 43 or the 63 or the 73-year-old, and that is always be seeking and trying to gain clarity on what your assignment or your role or whatever you want to call it here on earth is. And it may change. Listen, as a 23-year-old, you might need to get out and flip some burgers or something, just to kind of get some experience and start working and seeing how structure and systems work. 
And then a few years later, it might be that you're a manager or you need to go back to school and get some education so that you don't do that job the rest of your life. And then in your mid thirties, you may have a family that you're dealing with. So, you know, there may be different things that you have to do along the way. And I think the big message there is that we need to be fluid, but we also need to have clarity, Beverly. That's something that I, I would definitely recommend to someone. Now, a sidebar item, being a coach myself, and I coach leaders and leadership teams, executives, I really love the value of a coach. I love being able to have someone that can speak into your life that you could bounce things off of. Some people might, it might be a counselor or it could be someone in the legal profession like you or others, or it could be, you know, reading books like yours. But I also love just getting other people that I believe have my best interest to kind of help me along in that journey. So those are a few things that uh, just come to mind. No, that's great advice. And hopefully people listening will, will follow it because I don't think it will take them in the wrong direction. Now, before we say goodbye, I want you to tell listeners how they can find you. Well, there's a a few ways. Uh, I actually have a podcast myself called Seek, Go, Create. It's those three words, Seek, Go, Create. And you can search it and find it on any podcast platform, or you can go to SeekGoCreate.com and that podcast, like we talked about earlier, is all of, all about redefining success. We do a lot of similar topics that we've talked about here, Beverly, and we redefine success primarily in leadership, business, and in ministry there. We mash all those together. So they can definitely find me there, seekgocreate.com. And there's another thing that's really cool. I don't know when this is going to be released here, but uh, I've just finished writing a novel. The novel is titled Coach. And it's a story of success redefined. And it is a novel. It's really more like a parable or a or a, a story that I think is a good read. I call it fiction with a purpose. It's got some principles and points that will come through there. But if your audience goes to seekgocreate.com forward slash book, seekgocreate.com forward slash book, they can, depending on when they they listen to this, they could either download a copy of the first chapter for free there or after the book is released, it'll be available at that page too. So that's where I'd send people just connect there and uh, get a copy of the book or listen in on our podcast. That's the best thing to do. That's great. Tim, thank you so much for taking the time today and for being so gracious and understanding, as I said, with the technical difficulties and my ineptitude that, (laughs) that became oh so clear. Thank you. And I look forward to reading your book. Thank you, Beverly. I enjoyed the conversation. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Your Employment Matters with Beverly Williams. If you found this podcast helpful, please subscribe and leave a review. I truly appreciate your support and that helps other listeners find the podcast. If you have a comment, question, or suggestion, you can reach me at B.A. Williams at youremploymentmatters.com. My book, Get the Job Done, is available on amazon.com and barnesandnoble.com. Please join me again next week. Until then, remember to embrace change and differences.
This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM network. Sound Advice FM. Women's voices amplified.